Do I believe in my process? And should you believe in me as a coach or a mentor or whatever? Absolutely. If you don't, then get out of here because it's going to mess with you. Right. You know, and but it, but when you do, you know, understand that it's because of you and what you're doing, then you can take bits and pieces from all these different coaches. You can maybe have a coach that's your coach, that that's your guy, that's my guy, I'm going to go to him. He's going to build me up and blah, blah, blah. But you're the one that's got to, at the end of the day, foot the bill. And you're the one that's got to perform. Making an Athlete, a show about athletes, coaches, scouts, trainers, and the stories behind their careers and what it takes to build yours. The California Kid, UFC Hall of Famer, Team Alpha Male founder, entrepreneur, and widely regarded as one of MMA's pioneers, Uriah Faber joins Making an Athlete to talk wrestling and professional fighting. A two-time world champion, Uriah takes us through his path to becoming a champion and how he established the path for future fighters in his weight class. We dive into what it takes for young fighters to establish their own paths to achieving their delusional dreams of two becoming a professional fighter. All right, you're at Faber. I uh, appreciate you being on Making an Athlete podcast. Uh, I'm Ty Davis, and today we are sitting down um, in the home of Uriah Faber. Uh, you know, I, I'm going to give him an introduction, but uh, may may already know a couple of things. So, uh, a UFC Hall of Fame, uh, one of the pioneers of MMA, and owner and coach at uh, Uriah Faber Ultimate Fitness in Sacramento, with uh, a couple gyms in Folsom and Rockland. And also, um, uh, the founder of Team Alpha. So I appreciate you being on today. Yeah, my pleasure, man. I'm excited, and uh, you know, I, we got to talk a little bit yesterday and, and, and start the conversation today. We'll have it recorded, so it'll be better. All right, looking forward. To, <laughs> looking forward to having this conversation, and yeah. and that conversation that we're going to have today is um, with making an athlete podcast. Uh, you know, we talk about uh, an athlete's or former athletes or current coaches um, past as an athlete, and then um, talk about their perspective as a coach now for a lot of young athletes and um, even parents out there of those young athletes who are looking to find out more information on what the right path is to um, getting to that certain high level. So let's start with that. And, you know, we always, we're going to take it back to, you know, when you were a kid and, you know, what did you get started, you know, one of the, uh, uh, you know, top UFC guys, um, or for uh, UFC coaches as well. Um, what got you there and, you know, where did it all start? You know, for me and, and, uh, you know, I was a human development major, so I've been pretty introspective about why I became, you know, what I did and the trials, the tribulations, the things that were good attributes, maybe some bad attributes and like, you know, trying to piece it together, make sense of life and how it happened. But um, unlike some of my teammates and guys that I've coached and, and some of my peers, I didn't have parents that really pushed sports on me. It was more of, you know, an emphasis on following your heart, on doing what um, you're passionate about, but emphasis on being the best or attacking it with with true passion and being committed and, and that kind of thing. So um, some of my friends and teammates and peers have started with, with 
parents that pushed them from a very young age okay. in a certain direction. And I didn't have that per se, but I did always have kind of an, uh, an inkling for contact sports. I loved uh, football was my first passion. Right. I played Pop Warner football is right here in, uh, in, um, in right by Hiram Johnson in, in Sacramento. Okay. I, was, I was the only white kid on all black football all right. team. And, and, How old uh, were you then? Was that was middle school? Fifth grade. Fifth grade? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I actually commuted to a private school or a open school, Mission Avenue in Carmichael. And um, I think my mom just wanted to like put some adversity on me, you know, and and uh, split time between my parents, which, you know, we were, you know, a family of divorced when I was in kindergarten, but both very loving and supportive parents in their own right as individuals. So um, I was always encouraged to do what I wanted, and, and I loved football. I played roller hockey. I was a huge boxing fan and um, got the opportunity to wrestle when I was in the seventh or eighth grade for the first time. Got my butt kicked and uh, just really enjoyed it and decided to, to head down that path. Okay, and so that wrestling, you know, you found your way into wrestling was, did your dad wrestle um, when he was younger or is it just something that, you know, one day a friend or you just wanted to go give it a try? You know, I uh, my brother had wrestled in junior high. My brother's two and a half years older than I am and I remember going to one of his matches and, and thinking it was awesome. And like I said, I've always been drawn to combat sports, so whether it be football or, or, or hockey or uh, boxing, you know, I used to have boxing gloves and we'd always be boxing each other. I used to, you know, kind of a, a kid that was drawn to, uh-huh. to, to action and, and um, contact sports. So when I got the opportunity, um, they were offering like a little after school program, I think in maybe in the seventh grade for about two weeks and then in the eighth grade for about two months. And uh, so I got kind of a, a introduction there. I went to my first wrestling camp my eighth grade summer before high school. I, I had, uh, you know, taken a week out of the summer and, and you go up there and, and um, you know, learn. I actually wrote a letter to the camp and had asked if I could work in exchange for camps. I went the first week to wash dishes and clean mats and that kind of stuff. And the second week I got to attend. That's awesome. So uh, I don't know. I was, that's finding a way. Yeah, that's, that's finding fine. a way. Yeah. That's yeah, finding a way. Uh, you said you boxed a lot with your brother? Yeah, just how'd, messing around. How'd that work out? I mean, he's an older brother, right? He's older, bigger. You know, I'm, I'm, I was blessed with, uh, you know, I'm only 5'6", so I got lucky. I'm short and nimble. <laughs> you know? Hey, man, that's led to <laughs> quite a successful career. So. <laughs> my, my brother's 5'11", and you know, right now about 200 plus pounds. But uh, So it didn't go great for me. No. All right. <laughs> Adversity. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so, okay, so you're, you know, seventh, eighth grade, you're doing wrestling, um, you're going into high school. Are you still playing football? Or are you kind of just channeling all your energy towards uh, wrestling at that point? Um, or are you doing multiple, multiple sports? Yeah, I was, I was doing multiple sports. So I, I think uh, as a freshman, I was, I, was, I was wrestling. Like I said, I went to that camp in the eighth grade. I played football as the captain of the football team. And, what position? Uh, I was a cornerback. Cornerback. And then we had a wing T offense, so I was the 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 third back in you know in motion. And uh, and then I think I tried track my freshman year also, uh-huh. and uh, and started to kind of weed weed him out. So I, I played football all through high school. I wrestled all through high school. And then when it came to college, I, I decided to stick with the 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 wrestling path. The wrestling. Now, did you have an option? 
to to play football in college? Um, I'm the kind of guy that believes you could have any kind of option if you if you really put your mind right. to it. Um, I think for the success that I was having, this, I mean, I was, I was all league as a as a cornerback, but I was only 100, you know, 30 pounds or something like that. It, it would have been a tough road to hoe in in yeah. in uh, you know playing college at UC Davis, but yeah. um, ended up walking on the team at UC Davis. I had a, a pretty good high school career. My junior and senior year, I made it to the to the state tournament, which was really good for my team at the time. And my senior year, I was top twelve in the state. And this is college. This is high school. This is high school. This okay. is high school. So I was, you know, went to the state tournament, which is uh, was a big deal for for our school back then. I was the only guy in like thirteen years that had done that, and then had uh, uh, my senior year, I finished top twelve. So nine through twelve are like a tie. They don't wrestle off for nine through twelve, okay. and then one through eight is all American. All American. So I missed all American, and then uh, and then you know, end up going to college after that. Yeah. So let's talk about that, that process and how you got to UC Davis and you went to high school at Lincoln high, um, Lincoln, California, um, home of the fighting zebras. That's right. Um, still a, one of the most unique names. Yeah. That's um, right. but so you're, you're, you know, doing wrestling at high school. Um, what, what's that process like when, you know, you're one of the top wrestlers in California, colleges are reaching out to you. Um, how did that go for you? How was that? You know, and ultimately, how did you choose UC Davis? You know, I was going through a lot my senior year, and uh, my brother had gone away and and was part of a uh, a church. He went he went on a scholarship to the Air Force and got involved with this church called the International Church of Christ, and ended up having kind of a mental breakdown. Mm. And this was my senior year, and um, I had my my high school girlfriend at the time. Um, she was helping me out a lot with getting the paperwork done, but I had done all the footwork of being a, a, a athlete and a and a scholar. I was in you know in the you know the the highest classes that you could go. I was getting great grades. I did pretty good on the SATs. I was um, you know they they do something called the uh, what's it called? Uh, <clears throat> anyways, they choose a boy state. Boys state they take one one representative as a boy and one as a girl and they send you to like a leadership convention which is like a mock uh, government. I stuff. remember that. I think I actually got chose for that too. I forget what the name of it yeah. is as well. Yeah, it's boy yeah, state. Boy state. That's yeah, boy state. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I I was a guy that was that was you know doing the right things as far as going to college, but being the first person to go to college for my family and uh, to a major university and stuff. Was hard, so I had my girlfriend that was helping me with the process a little bit okay. in, a, in a really hard time with our family, and um, but uh, I I was just going out. I didn't really do much research on all the different schools. I just applied to all schools in California that had wrestling. So okay. I was Cal Poly, Cal State Fullerton, Fresno, San Francisco State, uh, UC Davis, and and for me, UC Davis was close to home. It was mm -hmm. a great school academically yeah. and I just decided that, that was the option okay and so so that's where I went and, I, and I, I walked on I didn't get a scholarship at that point all right so you walked on um you know I guess talk about that mindset yeah, you're a walk-on um you know you know retrospective now we can look back and you've had this extremely successful career in MMA and UFC but you're a walk-on um for a division one wrestling program 
what what are you thinking when you're going in there there's i'm assuming i don't know how many scholarships are for wrestling team i'm assuming there's not a ton of money to give out for a team but you still have some scholarship guys there yeah that were given that opportunity with free money that you didn't get so what's your mindset going in yeah you know i had a there was four guys my senior year that beat me in the in the uh in the state and um three of them ended up going to uc davis and because I got a, a late start in wrestling as it was, I was always in the mindset of, of playing catch up. And so from the from the get go, I was doing all sorts of extra things. You know, I lived out in the country in Lincoln, like nine miles out, out by, you know, Mount Pleasant Hall and, yep. and that, that, that area. So there were times where I would get up in the morning and run to school and, and just always doing extra and playing catch up. Yeah, it was funny. I, I in my book I talk about that story. It's it was a good lesson in learning how to plan, because um, I was doing something that I thought was going to be hard and everything else, but I way miscalculated on, you know, the clothes that I was wearing, how hot it was going to get, how long it was going to take me, et cetera, et cetera. So I ended up carrying all my clothes the last couple miles, and uh, being like two hours early for school because I just thought it was going to be a long, hard run. You know, you so. Uh, you know, for for me, um, I went into that that senior the the senior year, into the summer, and then into the freshman year of college, just thinking it was going to be the most difficult thing on the planet, mm -hmm. and continuing what I had already done, which was do more than everyone else because I had to play catch it from the get go because right. I got kind of a late start in wrestling, and so I went to Sierra College. I went to the, I went to the. Uh, conditioning practice for the wrestling team there then I went and I had gone to a camp that summer at Jay Robinson intensive camp prior to that and then I went in to start my 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 freshman year there and I would just assume everyone was doing that because this is a yeah. big deal you're going to division one school if I had four of the guys like I said that beat me three of them went to school also um, and they had all placed in the state and I took top 12 and they were part of that top eight yeah they're all top part of the top eight and uh, and I beat everyone else for the spot. I was and I beat our team captain, who who was a great friend in our. He was our only guy to make it to the national tournament that year. I ended up beating him in an open tournament. I earned myself a scholarship that year. And this then, is as a freshman. Yeah. Oh, all right. yeah, true this freshman. Is, this yeah, and, and I was redshirting, but we went to an open tournament and happened to go against my, you know, our team captain, who was our only guy that made it to the national tournament. So I beat him. And I beat all the guys that beat me in high school, and and I earned myself a small scholarship that year, right. and then went on to start for the rest of my career, and you know led the led the the school in, in wins, and right. and went to the tournament a couple times. So did your school Did you can Did they give you more scholarship as the years went on? They did, yeah. They did. All right. Yeah. So I mean, that that that's a, a true story of you know earning your spot, earning your scholarship, right. coming in with you know that confidence. And we're going to talk a lot about that confidence aspect uh, uh, when you went into college and proved yourself. And, and you know, that's going to become a, a common denominator for the rest of your career and where you are today. So in that college experience, you know, if you're looking back, um, I guess reflecting on college itself before we move into your professional career, what was it that, that you remember most when you're going in and facing uh, you know an opponent of a different school you obviously like we just talked about earned that top position on the team right um at the national level you're competing what's what's the you know thought process and i want to be the best um 
You know, I and I and I kind of gave you a, a quick overview of some of the best wrestling matches that we've yeah. seen, and then some of the best coaches. And one of them is Dan Gable. My coach Lenny Zaleski was coached by Dan Gable. His brother coached alongside Dan Gable. That's Jim Zaleski. And um, you know, I got a chance to meet Dan Gable a couple times and attend some of his speeches that he's given and, and that kind of thing, and, and read his books. And uh, Dan Gable's a big He's a big, uh, I guess, advocate for being gullible as hell. <laughs> like you told something, you don't second guess it or, well, what, is, what about this? Whatever, you just do it. So, and he was a guy that was like, when my coaches would tell me something, that was it. That was I would do it. And uh, I love that because, you know, too many times, and I experienced as a coach myself, where you get, the naysayers and the cancers and, and people that that think that's not going to work, or this is going to work, and voice it. I was always to the point of you showed something, you do it really, really, you know, in t like with attention to detail. You do it to the best of your ability, and then you'll find out if it's something for you, or you can tweak it or whatnot. And so the gullibility was was a big thing for me, where you just do as you're told. Mm -hmm. I wasn't a guy that was. You know, talking back. If I had a question, I would, but mostly I would just listen intently and I would go. Um, what do you think's at the root of those people that I mean are now talking back or second guessing when they're you have a coach and they're coming in and they they think you know they're still that player, they're that player or they're that that fighter. Yeah. And I know better than the coach. What's what do you think is causing the root that? of that? I'm not exactly sure. I would say probably. I mean, and you can't knock that because there are some terrible coaches out there, True. <laughs> right? True. You yeah. know, um, but I would just say probably a little bit of insecurity and in wanting to prove th themselves, you know, something's going on. The other thing might be a bad experience. Okay. Um, uh, but more than that, just, just not believing in the process. You know, you want to go a place where you believe in the process and – and a good coach and a good team of coaches will be aware that people are different and will listen to you and talk to you as if you're an equal, in my opinion, okay. on some okay. levels, and at least have a conversation about why someone thinks there is or isn't. But there's a time and a place for that. You, right. know? you see it all the time where guys will, in front of the whole group, be like, well, coach, is that really going to work? What if he just does this? You know? And it's like, that's not really the time and place to be second-guessing something. Go chip it out. Maybe call the coach over your own say, hey, I'm having trouble. What about this? Blah, blah, blah. But um, I think that just being a real open mind and real, real uh, blank slate to be taught in a process that you believe in, then, you know, that's, that, that's, that's something that, that can pay big dividends. Now... If you don't believe in the process, even if it's a good process or if it's a bad process, uh, that could be a problem. It might be a time to remove yourself if you truly in your heart don't believe in the process. And so I tell guys that all the time that if you're thinking this isn't for you, this isn't the, the, the place, you know, you got to believe in what you're doing, mm -hmm. right? And so... So going back to that and going off what you say is that part that you were talking about of, of you know, being gullible. Yeah. Um, I mean, keep talking to us about that in, in your college and, and that impact that um, that coach uh, 
Lenny Zaleski. Lenny Zaleski. Yeah. Um, was that the, Dan Gable? That was his yeah. the goal ability part. Talk about that some more. Yeah. Uh, He's and so and so Dan Gable. Like I said, I, I was. I think I told you yesterday. We went to Duel, Iowa, which was a big deal because our school, UC Davis, was not supposed to be able to compete with Iowa, but because of the relationship, et cetera, we, we got a chance to compete with them. We, we continued that after you know Coach Zaleski was there. But we went into the room, and uh, the Iowa wrestling room, and Dan Gable, who has long since retired as a wrestler, he retired at 26, became a coach, then retired as a wrestling coach, um, was in the room by himself in the dark on a dummy on the wall. And we got in there to go train and he's in full sweatsuit with the hood on, hitting high cross double legs on this dummy on the wall over and over and over again, just boom, 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 boom. Then, you know, he does that for about 20 minutes or we're stretching out, putting our bags up and stuff. And then he gets up on the on the uh, bike and he's doing the Versa climber or doing the, uh, the, uh, the modified like aerodyne bike and doing that whole thing. So, you know, it's one thing, you know, he created a regimen and, and, and uh, like kind of a, a way for that he just approached life and it was consistency and, and, and persistence and, and everything else. And that was kind of the, the reputation of the Iowa, Iowa guys. But when, you, when you're talking about, uh, you know, believing in the process, uh, it's, it's, it's a confidence thing. And people are always asking about, can you build confidence? Because some people have it inherently, it seems, but most of the time that's from their upbringing of whatever's happened to them in their life or how they're raised or somebody that believed in them. Somewhere they built some sort of confidence, but then then you trial and error. There's like, here's the theory. The theory is I'm the baddest man on the planet. Then there's the, that's the hypothesis. Okay. Then you go to uh, the trial. I'm gonna go up against another guy and see if I'm better than him because I'm the baddest man on the planet. No, he's better than me. Okay, then you assess and break it apart. Like, well, why was I not the man when I thought I was? And then you put a new plan of action and and then you get a new hypothesis and it goes like that, boom, boom, boom. So where you're constantly keeping that confidence but you're adjusting the other things along the way. So for me, it was, uh, you know, the self-confidence that I built from being a kid that, that that was, you know, supported by my family and had some success in other sports and people liked me or were nice to me or whatever the deal was that built me as I was, um, that that's the core of my, my confidence. And then you build that confidence by being consistent. And this is how somebody that doesn't maybe have that, that core, can, you know, confidence can do is be consistent and believe in what you're doing and don't stop. And that, that, that itself can help build confidence in guys. And then you got to understand that it's a long process. I've right. seen so many times, and, and you talked about your own journey right. where you, know, you were kind of a late bloomer and you had someone that believed in you and, and, and that, that manifested into, well, shoot, everything else fell into place, but you had that core belief which allowed you to excel into a college career that may, may not have happened based on just what you've done in high school. So I think that's kind of the, the key is you have your confidence, then you test your confidence. If what you believe isn't true, you, you tweak it and figure out how I get to where I can be where I believe I should be. 
and then you keep that process until you've attained your goals or at least gotten higher than you would have otherwise. Yeah, I think it's you know, the important part is what you're saying is you keep you keep at that goal. And, and you know, we had a conversation yesterday where you were talking about there um, there's acceptable, uh, acceptable excuses. Yeah, that's what you called it. And, and you know, I never I've never heard that before. Acceptable yeah. excuses, because a lot of times. You know, you hear it, just don't make excuses yeah. go out there. So, um, but I liked your theory around acceptable uh, acceptable excuses. And um, once you explain that more, because I think it's important um, that it goes along with, you know, that, that process of maybe you're making, an ex- it's an excuse, but it's an excuse that you can improve upon and then it no longer becomes an excuse. Right. Um, as long as you're willing to make sure that no longer does if you write it out and then just that's the reason yeah and you blame that you know i failed because of this and i never tried to improve it but i mean talk to me a little bit about acceptable excuses yeah and acceptable and this is this is funny because i've done a bunch of uh interviews and and zoom calls and podcasts and Uh stuff during the quarantine so i was doing more than i normally would and i was like just spit firing you know topics like this and two things that are usually have bad connotations I've been put them together that are two really great things for me. One is being delusional and the second one is having excuses, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> and and it's like I've I've met some really powerful people in this world from from kids that are dying of of diseases to billionaires to famous actors and actresses and and top athletes and and gurus of all different sorts. Um and the people that are accomplishing the massive, massive things, it's almost like Conor McGregor is a good example. You know, when he's on food stamps and whatnot, uh, it's, and he's talking, and there's an old video of him talking about how he's going to have so much money he can't wrap his, hand, you know, wrap his head around what to do with it. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. Like this delusional, which seems delusional to people that aren't believers, is something that is very common and people that do amazing things. Mm. And, and, and that delusion, um, as long as you keep on the pathway and do all the other little recipes, and I call it thinking big, basically, that's my biggest key to success, is just being able to think big and believing you can do anything, um, which transfers into doing movies and into real estate and into mm-hmm. business and into coaching and your own thing. But um, you know that delusion of thinking big and thinking I can do anything it's like, man, what's this guy's crazy? He thinks he can do anything. He's five foot one and, you know, or whatever. It's like, you know, and, and I'll talk in a second when we get to the fight game, but it was delusional for me to think that I would be where I am today on that pathway. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is the excuses. The excuses, and I actually learned this in college when they were saying, well, you know, what are some common traits of successful people is they have great excuses great excuses. <laughs> they have great excuses they're all fixable well why'd you lose the fight well geez that guy was you see how muscular he was he was so strong okay well what can you do to get stronger well i'm gonna have to lift weights every day at 6 a.m and i have to eat more protein i'm gonna have to do this boom boom boom, boom. okay well now go do it your excuse is gone mm-hmm. and and well he was so much better he, he's been doing it since he's 10 years old he, he's so slick all right, well, then I'm going to put an hour of drilling one move every single day. That's a checklist. And, and, and there's a mix between like the, the input goals, the things that you do and you can check off a list, and the delusional thought of what I want to accomplish or what I think I can accomplish. And, and one you can control and one you can't. I can't say I'm going to be a top female ballerina, you know, 
first off, I'd have to, you know, you get sex change first. Same right? <laughs> it might be possible. Sex change first. Then, you know, then put a lot of logging, a lot of hours yeah. on the ballerina floor. Now, is it possible? Sure. Uh, depending on how you how you take that kind of uh, uh, <laughs> whether I would be a real female or not, but right. uh, but the truth is there's these things. But then there's a bunch of other people that might be trying to do the same goal. There's a whole bunch of people that want to do that. Mm -hmm. Maybe maybe not. I don't have control on who's going to be the best. I don't have control on who's going to who's going to be the world champion. But I can do the input goals, the things I can mark off a list. I can get up at 6 a.m. I can eat two eggs. I can do 500 push-ups. I can do this. I can physically mark that off the list. That's my theory that's going to get me to here. And that's what I can control. For this, I can't control. And the excuses are basically, you know, things that I need to work on. You know, that's my excuse. Yeah. Okay. The, the terrible excuse is, well, he's just better. Look at him. <laughs> you know, yeah. or or like... Well, he's got some natural gifts. I'll never have that. You know, that's 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 the that's kind that's, of, the, that's yeah that's that's setting yourself up for just uh, always having that doubt. Exactly. And it goes back to that confidence piece, right? If you're making that excuse, that's gonna present doubt in your head, um, and then you accept it, and you're like, right. ah, I can't fix this, but you can always fix yourself first. Yeah. Uh, going into so you you had a successful college career. Um, talk about that that story of you know. What made you decide to go into MMA? Yeah, and and you know, what? Because that's that's a, it, I mean, like we talked about that you being one of the pioneers of MMA. That it's yeah, early two thousand three. Two thousand three. Yeah. So you know, not not what UFC is known today, where it's you know one of the uh, most you know watched um, shows on the weekend. You were there in the beginning. Yeah. What made you like? Well, first off, I'll give you the landscape of what that looked like in two thousand three. Okay. First off. And this is why I said my delusion was was full on delusion at that point. If 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 you're looking at reality of the times, so I graduated college at UC Davis. Was you know had a lot of success there, but not quite as high as I would have liked to. And um, you know I wasn't a national champ or an all American. I was I was I was a freestyle American, but not uh, at the NCAA's. But uh, so. It was illegal in California and a bunch of other states at the time in 2003. So the only fights that were happening were on Indian reservations. Uh, and um, it was also no weight class for me. 135 pounds didn't exist for me. It, the, the lightest weight class in the UFC, and they're having only three events a year, was 100. And now they have 50 some odd events a year, just to put it in perspective, was 100 and... Uh, 70 pounds. They'd already taken out the 155 pound weight class and it was only 170 pounds. What a difference. Yeah. And, and the top guys were getting paid, you know, 150,000 bucks if they won the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I, I just graduated from college at UC Davis, have my degree, and decide that I want to take the path to become a mixed martial artist. And, and, and I would have visions of what it would be like to be, you know, rich and famous and and the world champ and all that kind of stuff, which took me my 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 high school and my college experience to know to actually you know try to attain being a champion because I I misdone my goals as a high schooler and a college guy because I never put be a champion it was always okay. be an all American or get to the state tournament I just wasn't thinking big enough but when I got into mixed martial arts I had beat guys that were 
you know, national champions and runner-ups and all-Americans throughout my career, but I didn't, I didn't have that success that I wanted, which was my goal, you know, to, to be there. And I never even wrote down on my goal list to be a champion. It was always to be an all-American or get to the tournament. Just wasn't thinking big enough. So when I stepped into that that new era of my career, um, I mean, I made two hundred dollars to show up my first fight. I made two hundred dollars to win. That was my purse. All right, um, where was that at? Where'd you? Calusa Casino. Calusa Casino. Yeah, All I right. fought uh, bald, big Mexican guy. Had pride tattooed across the street. I had like a blonde comb over, fresh out of college, and. Uh, I was thinking, you know, I was just thinking I was going to tear this 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 sport apart and like have the most success. But the most success, what there was, there was no path for me. There was no weight class for me. There was only two events or three events a year in the UFC. There was uh, it wasn't covered on ESPN or Fox or anything else. Mm-hmm. There was a couple of websites that covered it, and um, and that was it. So it was it was kind of a weird thing to be aspiring for and and running at when there wasn't a real pathway but i just decided to do it i was following my passion and i had belief in it and and uh and attacked it all right so you you win your first fight and is that uh i mean what was that 400 dollars like getting put into your hand was it right there they just handed you the cash or? <laughs> yeah they hand you the cash and i had actually and part of the where i got the 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 bug for entrepreneurship was you know, I had started business to help fund my fight career from the get-go. I started coaching at UC Davis. I was making seven or eight thousand dollars a year as a okay. full-time gig. It was like your own GoFundMe for yeah. your fight but career, I mean, but I, through work. Yeah, I think twenty-something thousand was the poverty level, and and I was well below the poverty level. Then I was also started a, a little company called TLC Top of Line Coaching, where I was coaching. I coach at UC Davis, and then right afterwards, I go to to uh, Vacaville and I'd coach kids there and then I'd start camps. I would did some camps at um, Natomas High School okay. and I was working like 16, 17 hour days and I was busting tables at, at, uh, at uh, what's the Inc right here on N Street, okay. 25th and uh, working like 17 hour days and getting paid Jack Diddley <laughs> and uh, pursuing this fight game with no real path. Yeah, And so, I, I had I had had my emergency teaching credential that 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 would have paid me I mean maybe thirteen bucks an hour if I would have started yeah. doing emergency ter- teaching. So when I went and got that fight, I sold tickets. I got fifty percent of my ticket sales. It was a short notice fight, so I ended up making I think between seventy and a hundred dollars there. And I got two hundred dollars to show up and two hundred dollars to win. And the the fight was a minute and a half, and I was like, man, five hundred bucks almost in in a minute and a half, and, you know. You didn't take into consideration that you'd been since eighth grade wrestling, and then you went through college, and then you, then you trained for a whole month and a half, and then then you had the fight. It was like, man, minute and a half, five hundred bucks. That was a lot of money to me at the time. I was excited for that, you yeah. know. And people got excited with me. I had all my buddies in the crowd, and and uh, saw my dad in the crowd, and actually smiled at him before I threw the guy on his head, and That's awesome. and uh, had that cash, and and started building. A name and reputation. So many, how many fights did you start after that? How many? How often? I had, uh, you know, I immediately started selling T-shirts, alpha male T-shirts, mm-hmm. and I also um, was starting to sell more tickets. Okay. So I was making after that a couple thousand bucks, and and I would, uh, 
I would fight, you know, three to four times a year. I think after my first loss, I fought uh, seven or eight times in 13 months. Wow. Which is, Brutal. that's crazy. Yeah. yeah. But I, you know, that's how I was making a that's, living. Yeah. I was having fun. So you, you, you're you doing these, I'm going to call them grassroots fighting. And then what, at what point did you make that jump into the pro circuit? Like what, was it, did someone see you? Did you just, same thing you kind of did at UC Davis is you just inserted yourself into the conversation and then made a name for yourself? Um, you know, so all those fights are pro fights. At the time, there was only Sorry a couple organizations. So so there's Gladiator Challenge and King of the Cage, and they were like kind of working together. Gladiator Challenge was like a regional circuit that we would have all over California. And then King of the Cage, they actually had a pay-per-view model mm. that was like Jack Diddley. They'd have a pay-per-view model, but... I never saw any money from it. Who knows if they're making much money? And I'd, you know, get paid less to fight on those shows, but it was pay per view. Okay. And so it was like a guaranteed a thousand bucks, but I would be somewhere else where I couldn't sell tickets, and it just wasn't my environment and everything else. So I would do the pay per view ones, um, and I started like saying, okay, I'm gonna collect all the belts for the small organizations or the people that had, you know, my weight class, and that's why I get credit as one of the. The, the pioneers of the sport is because I was doing it when there wasn't really you know a spot for me and so I went and fought in the WEC in, in, uh, in Fresno at the Indian Reservation I, I was a gladiator challenge and the king of the cage champ then I was the WC champ then I went and fought over in TKO in Canada and I was just fighting everywhere trying to you know establish myself as the right. best in the world and um, my best friend from elementary school Jamal Yogis was it's so funny he's got a bunch of books published one's called Saltwater Buddha and it's his story of how when we kind of split paths in high school he ran away from school as a junior and he went and bought himself a one-way ticket to Hawaii went and bought a surfboard and like his dad came and found him later and then he went on this journey to become a, a surfing monk writer Okay. And so he he's gone on this path, and he was in uh, after years of of being on that path, he went to a foreign exchange program in in France and was living in a Buddhist colony there, and or like all this whole stuff. But he ended up going to Columbia University, and he wrote an article about me when I was like six fights in, that caught the eye of a of a guy named Morgan Hertz Hertzfeld or Hort, Hertzman. Hertz, Morgan Hertzman, and that guy was working for MTV at the time, and we pitched a show called Say Uncle, which later got ripped off from me and, and became Bully Beatdown with uh, with uh, Mayhem Miller, and he went off and did his own production company, and I was one of the first things that he, that he built up. It was called Warrior Nation, okay. and so he did a documentary on me on these small circuits, and the guy I was fighting, and that went into to MSNBC, and was out to 50, 50 million people. Yeah. And so that was like the very beginning. And it, it spurred off my best friend from elementary school, wrote an article about me fighting, which got published in New York, and the guy saw That's it, this crazy. and that. And uh, just listen to that podcast too. You, oh, with me have, and Jamal? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah Jamal's awesome, man. A month or two. That it was, it was, it's cool to know the background, though, <laughs> yeah. of where he's coming from. I saw the, uh, like, the, I can understand the surfer. Um, you know, uh, Buddha uh, persona yeah, that yeah. he had there. Um, but that that's cool. I mean, that's like, 
things just falling into place in, in a yeah. different crazy kind of way. And um, I never, you know, a lot of times when we, when I talk to athletes and stuff, people use the word luck. I never think it's, I don't like the word luck a lot. Right. It's opportunity that you've put yourself into a position and, you know, his path and your path, you gave yourself the opportunity. And then um, the crossing of that made, made yeah. that, that bigger opportunity happen uh, for you. So you finding the success and, you know, you become a world champ and, and um, different organizations, uh, you know, as this transition to the sport becoming more popular, mm-hmm. um, what was that like to be a part of that transition where now you went out there and did your grassroots fighting, all these different uh, uh, groups, and then now it's and not necessarily it's not just one i know there's multiple but um it's still, it turned into one it did turn yeah into it one. turned into one that was the wc and so what happened was this i went around and so you know before jamal wrote that article i was getting momentum in in the small culture of mma but it was really really small back then it mm-hmm. was like a couple of websites they actually fights in japan were pretty popular because they had pride over there and they had a shuto that you know with some of the other big name fighters that were small weights that, that I was always trying to gun to get get a fight with okay. those guys. But uh, so I was becoming, because I was a legitimate world champion and, and making a name for myself, and that's why they say I'm one of the pioneers, I was making a name for the smaller fighters. So people knew who I was. YouTube was around. Um, you know, they had these pay per view cards for King of the Cage that were probably getting, I mean, uh, maybe a couple thousand people or something if they're lucky. But it was still kind of a pay-per-view thing, and I was on posters and everything else. So um, what happened was the UFC bought – two, they did two things. The UFC had a, a, a TV show that they bought time with on Spike TV Okay. because they're like – they're were, they were flailing, spending $40 million, and, and the business was flailing. So they bought time on Spike TV. They did something called The Ultimate Fighter. They had the first one in 2005, and that was like humanized what we were doing. At that same time, they bought the WEC, which I was already, that was one of the organizations I was a champion for. They bought the WEC and they talked to me and said, hey man, like this is another level. Like drop all the rest and just come with us and, okay. and we're gonna up your pay, which at the time was like, I don't know, maybe 7,000, 7,000 to show up, 7,000 to win, which is, you know, I the biggest pay I got was like 5,000 yeah. flat. And I'm like, all right, yeah, this is huge, you know? And then, uh, Payout's, so, payout's quite different now and yeah, there. Yeah, it might have been twelve and twelve. I can't remember. It might have been twelve and twelve, okay. which was which which was a big deal. I think maybe I was in a contract with the WFA, which went out of business before I even fought with them. That I'd never done. That got bought up in addition, like they were collecting assets. Okay. And they bought uh, my contract along with that, and they upped it to maybe eleven, eleven, or twelve and twelve, something like that, which was huge for me. And so, um, and I was the champion at that time. And they were the best in the world at promoting. The UFC and the WC were one at this point. And then I was also on a new channel. It used to be it used to be uh, the Outdoor Channel. Mm-hmm. It had just been bought and changed to Versus Channel. And we were the program they were pushing on there. And I was the guy that they were pushing within the program. So I was getting pushed by by the WC because I was their champion and I was making you know exciting fights and beating everyone up yeah and then they're pushing the wc on versus because it was a new channel and that was one of their main things that they're drawing you know viewers with and i was the main guy there so then versus was putting money into building my name and i just had that w you know uh the msnbc documentary that was circulating that was before that and so things were starting to come together 
but I was legitimately the best guy in the world. So yeah. it was, I was there to, to reap the rewards of it. Of course. I mean, yeah. And you had put yourself in that position with I mean, all that hard work and grinding out and finding places to fight. And now right. it's, it's like the, the perfect, that's not, not a storm, but it's the perfect storm of, uh, opportunity yeah that worked out for you and and you uh, know you lose a fight right there and then the whole thing changes yeah but okay. i was you know what i mean that i mean that i could have easily and it happened to a lot of guys you know I, you know there's guys that were kind of the mainstay guys there's miguel torres and there was um there was uh razor rob mccola who's one of the coaches at the ufc gym now running the whole striking program and then there's uh you know a couple other guys that were like staple guys but i was the guy that had the it factor, had the longest winning streak, was able to do the interviews and somehow resonated with people for whatever reason. And so I became, you know, the guy that stood out. And and uh, that's partially due to all the things that were happening and partially to my attitude and my, my work ethic and, and the results I was getting. I think that's, uh, you know, what you just said there is perfect. Not just for at that age you were at, but no matter where you are in your athletic competition, it's that added. I mean, a lot of times we haven't heard the word attitude yet, but attitude, um, along with that, you know, huge work ethic that, that you've had, but attitude and how you approach things. When you, you, you have a career and, you know, a great career, and this is not to cut, you know, anything short, I'd love to talk about, you know, all the different parts of uh, fights and the success and, and the ups and downs. Um, but a lot of this podcast is talking about that coaching aspect. So right. you have a successful career and then, um, you know, technically you're out of retirement now still. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you retired for a little while and you, you, you've always had that coaching aspect from what you said when right. you started uh, as an 18 year old, you started that, um, the camps Top line coaching. Yeah. Yep. Um, now when you have your, your gym, um, talk about that that process of, of younger athletes coming in. They want to take that path that you made for yourself, that you pioneered. And now there's different things in place. There's gyms all over the world yeah. that give this opportunity. Um, what's the first step in for someone? Well, the first step in is, is, and this is the most important piece, is know that this is really what you want. Because mm -hmm. if you're doing it for the wrong reasons, getting in fights day in and day out, is one of the scarier things yeah. in life for most people. Public speaking and getting in fistfights, confrontation are two of the most uh, like phobic things for for human beings. And I do both very regularly, you know. Yeah, and yeah, and so, yeah, and so one of these one of these you know one of the main things you have to do is figure out is this for you? And you you know you foot in the door by by testing out. The different aspects of it. There's jujitsu. There's boxing. There's kickboxing. There's wrestling, etc. If you're if you're deciding that you like like something about those sports, then it just becomes okay. What's my pathway going to be? How long am I going to attack this thing? How committed am I? Like, we have Coach Lee Kemp, who would be a great guy for you to interview, okay. and and I can set that up. I that appreciate yeah, that. he's he's one of the most successful wrestlers of all time. Okay multiple time world champion, uh, Olympian the, the year that they actually canceled the Olympics, but you know, known as one of the of five best wrestlers of all time. And he's here in Sacramento, but he's basically said, look, full on commitment. That's if you really want to excel something, you have to be fully in, 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 you know, entrenched in it and give your all to it. Um, if you're just doing it for the wrong reasons, or you're going to do it, you know, partially, 
you know, it's probably not going to work out. Right. And I, not right, but I would look at like, you know, when, and, and I'll ask you here the kind of what you think the average starting age is, but you know, you can partially at a younger age, you can partially play soccer. You can partially play, you know, basketball or a different sport when you're feeling things out. But I feel like fighting is a whole different, um, you're either all in yeah. and you can't partially do it because you're going to get destroyed. Yeah. You're going to get hurt. Hurt. Yeah. <laughs> you can get, so yeah. what, what is the average age that you see, um, these young fighters coming in that they've made that full commitment? You know, there's a guy whose job and I've, I've met the guy. But his job is to go in and assess talent and say, hey, this is kind of what, um, where I think your your ceiling is as, as like professional for, I think, basketball. I can't remember what sport he was doing. Maybe some other sports. And his findings is around when I started, around 12 or 13, mm-hmm. is a good age to really, where you can make up time from somebody that's starting the little kids by being focused and, and going. Now... I'm not, I'm not somebody that believes you just have to take one path, but what you do have to do is take it really serious when you're, when you're, when you're attacking something. And so um, it, it, as far as like full commitment to something, that's going to change for kids. You know, girls getting a picture, you know, distractions here, there, whatever. Uh, the kids that really want it, it it's going to be an internal thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the best advice is follow a path of passion, what you really like to do, spend your time doing that. And then once you figure out what that is, get all into it. Right. And it could be football and and it could be wrestling. That's, that's what my recipe was. Yeah. They're both in being in great shape and having the right mentality and and you know being aggressive and that kind of thing. And then when it's time to, to make it a career and you really know you want to make it a career, that's when you go all in on something. But but being a person that takes it serious when you're in the moment is 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 a big key, and so um, I think it's got to be the right reason to do because a lot of times par- parents push people into stuff. Yeah, and that's what I mean. You talk about passion and, and what you're leading to is I mean that's what's the secret recipe for passion? And you know, there's a lot of parents out there that are like, how do I get this passion into my kid? And it's it has to be, or, be it has tr- to be you organic. Be, you got to be tricky with it, you know. Yeah. I, I my buddy. Uh, Jason Welch, he's actually the wrestling coach at San Francisco State. And when I was doing my camps and, and making a living, his dad would bring when he was in sixth, seventh, eighth grade. Mm-hmm. And he would just, I would just let, because I really liked the kid, I would let him come around and do all the camps for me. He was my partner and whatnot. And he ended up being a state champion and then being a national champion. And now he's the coach at San Francisco State. But I used to talk to his dad, and he's like, it's crazy. I can't believe my son is the one that's like the guy, you know, he's like the guy and he was the nicest kid, the nicest dad. And he wasn't pushing it. I said, what? I said, well, how'd you do it? He's like, you know what I used to do? I used to just like, I'd leave like, here's a pamphlet on the <laughs> counter. I let him discover it. Like he, and, and everybody's different. I also have Lance right. Palmer, who's, whose dad, Wayne, the pain was like <laughs> slave driver, like set up their whole basement and the kids couldn't eat until they were done with their training. And then they, he'd have shakes ready for him and, he was he was like a full on coach, and I had like Ryan Halsey and Chad Mendez, who are guys that that were you know competing in Halsey was competing in judo, then he was competing in wrestling, then he was doing freestyle wrestling, then he was doing Greco Roman wrestling, and his dad was just cracking the whip on him at all times. And Chad, same thing. He was from a get go, he was competing, and so it's going to be different for everybody. But I think keeping things fun 
and making sure that you're surrounding the kids with the right coaches and environment is going to be a big factor because you know they say that about math and 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 you know English and everything else the the right teacher can right. go a long way and, and help put you there so I would I would experiment with with environments for something that you think your your kid has an inkling for and then listen to your kid you know you, you, my, my baby's you know 16 months and she's already her own individual yeah. and I you know I get I like she leads the show and that's that's at 16 months and that's gonna get bigger and bigger and and I've seen so many people burn their kids out by trying to do what they want for the kid. Mm-hmm. It's like, look, you can have some tough love when a kid decides something and things get hard. They want to do this or that. But at the end of the day, he's got to love or she's got to love what they're doing. Agree. And that's where, yeah, you, you let them find their passion. Maybe not in the, the sport that you play. No, I have uh, my daughter, three-year-old daughter, and I have a, a newborn son now. And, you know, great if he plays baseball one day. But if he wants to be a basketball player if he wants to be a fighter yeah. and that's something that he's passionate about i gotta support that and then uh, i gotta pay the money to make sure he has the right coach because right. yeah. uh, <laughs> he's not getting anything from me yeah. um so coming into your gym um you know someone wants they, they they're trying to find a gym where uh they can uh, have their kid continue or the kid you know finds that passion and like where can i get to the next level um, how how is that initi- not initiation process, but how do they find themselves a gym? And, and like you said, we talked about this a lot. Is finding that right coach is very right. important. But how do they initially find a gym and start that process of, of getting in the reps there? Well, of course, it's trial and error, which you know you don't want to waste too much time. But um, now with today's resources, there's a lot of different ways. I mean, I've always been a kind of a guy that tends to way heavier on experience like you know if if you like my gym for example has produced world champions i've taken kids from eight years old and got them into the ufc and now they're teaching kids classes at the gym and and that kind of stuff but uh you know i would i would look at on credentials for um you know credentials for who the teachers are and then also as a parent you know get to know that person You, you you know you have your your senses is this a good person a bad person you can put your kid in a bad situation with the wrong environment because we don't know all people you know we don't know if they're good people or bad people so you have to be really really cautious and use your gut and then and then kind of hover you know be be a helicopter parent in some way <laughs> shape or form even if you're hiding around a tree and watching you know yeah um so i i would i would kind of ask for references get your own kind of feel and then look at credentials okay. that, that that's 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 a that's a good way to to go about it pretty straightforward yeah um we you know we're coming towards the end of the the podcast here Uh, a couple more questions just around you know the the coaching perspective and even still your gym here and 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 not necessarily your your gym but overall you're talking about you've had eight-year-olds go to the ufc uh i know there's a lot between the age of eight years old to to get in the ufc but what is that that life um uh, stages or, or kind of that that path from coming into a gym and then getting to that ultimate goal of, of yeah. being a part of the UFC. You know, w- what are the ups and downs and the the, the process? So yeah. so it's going to be different for everybody. I would I would always tend to say, um, and now it's different because there's actually mixed martial arts competitions for kids on some level, like pancreation and that kind of thing. But um, and 
and again, we talked about like a, a starting point for a 12, a 13, a 14, a 15, a 16, a 17 year old. You can make those gains for, with a really confident kid, with a really great work ethic, with the right environment. Um, and even later than that, sometimes if it's a, if it's an athlete that's coming over from football or soccer or or you know something else, and they've got coachability and they've got some athleticism and they've got a mind for for learning new things and maybe some some natural ability that that you know somehow presents itself. Um, you can start later, but what I look for in the in the guys and in, in, in the fight game especially, and it's a special thing, and it can come from different places. It can come from super secure families, it can come from kids that have had it rough but have found themselves always rising to the top, is just a real self-belief. And I can kind of spot it, you know, game recognized game. Um, and so I would encourage parents that are serious about this, show as much love, support, and undying, uh, you know, like I have your back mentality to your kid because that's the most confident, you know, the most confident people have somebody, even if it's not their parents, an uncle, an aunt, a coach, a teacher that can resonate with them and show them that like, hey, good or bad, you know, mess up or, or accomplish something great, you know, you have their back is covered. That's something that I would say for your parents that are looking for that edge for your kid. It's not about necessarily that the the perfect techniques that they're getting. It's about, you know, a, a coach that builds your confidence. And I've had a lot of bad coaches that have come into our team, not technically, but guys that have the wrong mentality um, that make try to make it about themselves, especially at the level where there's, there's fame and fortune and for some of these coaches in the fight game. And my goal as a, as a coach or a mentor for guys is for them to know that I'm gonna give you, you believe in my process and what I'm teaching you, but you can do this without me. I, you know, Andre Touchy Feely is one of my guys, and I had to tell him, he's like, I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for you, and I wouldn't be here if it weren't for this manager who's no longer his manager anymore, and I, I just, I wouldn't, and, I, and I'm like, I'm like, Feely, yeah, you would. I mean, I, you have all the attributes. I mean, I'd like to take all the credit for you, right. but at the end of the day, like, you're the guy that's putting in the work, and you're the guy that messed up for a whole year but straightened this shit up, and you're the guy that did this, and, and unfortunately, because I'd be a very rich guy if I had all the friggin' secrets and I was the only one. <laughs> There's all sorts of different ways that you can learn. There's also people that have done it. Now, do I believe in my process and should you believe in me as a coach or a mentor or whatever? Absolutely. If you don't, then get out of here because it's going to mess with you. Right. You know, and but it but when you do you know understand that it's because of you and what you're doing then you can take bits and pieces from all these different coaches. You can maybe have a coach that's your coach, that that's your guy, that's my guy, I'm going to go to him, he's going to build me up and blah, blah, blah. But you're the one that's got to, at the end of the day, foot the bill. And you're the one that's got to perform. You know, it's, it's a one-on-one -on -one competition out there in a fight. Yeah, and I think uh, you said something earlier, and, and you know what you're describing right here is you said after that first fight you took out of college, you looked at your dad right before you fin you, know, you you won the yeah. fight and that's I, I feel like that connection you made was like i'm looking at this guy that supported me yeah and there's that confidence and belief right there and you thought still as you're fighting to look and smile at him yeah. and then you finish the guy and then you win um even though it's one you know moment we could say but that's like everything that he gave in support for you in that moment you consciously thought like hey dad 
yeah. here it is. Like this, <laughs> this is going to be something. Uh, and then, you know, yesterday you were talking to me and told me one story about, and you'll have to get the wrestlers names for me, the fight between it was, a. Uh, I think it was the Iowa Fresno State fight. Yeah, Jerry Abbas versus Lincoln McElravey. Yeah, and and you you know you told me you watched that video. You had a, a VHS tape yeah. uh, that you watched that over and over as a kid. And if you watch at the very end, um, the wrestler who won, which was Lincoln McElravey, Lincoln McElravey, he's a true freshman by the way. True freshman. And he beat Jerry Abbas, who was uh, I think a junior at the time, but one of the one of the best wrestlers in the nation. Yeah, and I think he was uh, one of two true freshmen who had ever won the NCAA right. uh, title. Um, at the end, when he is uh, interviewed, he says, I looked at my coach, and he said, get the takedown, and that confidence made me get those takedowns and get the points and win. And he's like, I could have looked, you know, any other coach would be like, hey, you're down by, yeah. you know, five, six, seven points. You know, you're not, you, you, you're not gonna win. And yeah. he, all he had to do was make eye contact and then boom, that confidence of that person who's made such an impression in his life. Yeah. Just, and everything he worked for was what he did, but it was still is that just a little bit more of a, a confidence that. Yeah. Gave and, and, and so those that don't know about Dan Gable research up on him, but he's like his team, the Iowa Hawkeyes were known for mentally breaking guys. And he was an, an, an avid overtrainer. He was a guy that was like, literally like, probably wasn't the healthiest but it was all mentality you're gonna break him you're gonna break him and and guys the, the just the tail and phobia of going against an iowa guy because they knew they were going to grind and grind and grind the brands brothers McElravey, uh the zaleskis you know and on and on that would break guys some people get broken before they fought him because they knew that it was going to be hell and so gable and he's the same guy that i was talking about earlier that was in the room hitting double high crotches after he was not only a retired wrestler but a retired coach you know, well into his 50s, had multiple knee surgeries and everything else. He's in there by himself doing his thing. That guy, he said, McElroy was getting his butt kicked and McElroy looked up and Dan Gable wasn't like, what are you doing? Or, or any kind of doubt. He was just like, get the takedown. And he was like, oh, shit, I'm in this still. I'm yeah. still in it. And that was his guy that really was delusional, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I talked about yeah. and wasn't making any excuses. He was like, hey, get the takedown. Let's go. Like that. And Lincoln was like, oh, yeah, I'm still in this fight, you know, until the bell ends. I got a chance. And so it I, I was. That. Yeah, it was right up till the bell ends. Yeah. He got those points. Uh, you know, last question going into this is, is you know, we're talking about, um, you know, youth athletes that came in here. And you're also, uh, you know, you put yourself in a position of being such a successful fighter that you coach professional fighters. What is that, you know, what is the difference in how you know, you're coaching a professional fighter, you're a man-to-man, someone that's not far off in age. Um, what is that approach when, I mean, you have the credentials, but right. you also have to, you know, it's the same thing with NFL, NBA, it's an adult and adult. What do you do to make sure that someone's receiving that information and they're applying it? Um, I think you treat them like, like, like people, not like you're the boss. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to, we're dealing with adults here and you can have a logical conversation. I also have the ability as a, as a fairly young guy, in my mind, really young, but I'm 41, so not Still quite. Young. But uh, you know, I can actually put my hands on them and show them what I'm talking about. And I've got a guy, Song Yadong, who's you know, 23 years old, who's 5-0 in the UFC, and he's come over here to, to be part of the team. And I'll get in there and I'll mix it up with him. And even if he's getting the better of me, he knows it's a dog fight till the very end. 
Um, so I still have the ability to get in there and do that. But I also make, because I've had 46 fights and I've had a wrestling career and I've had ups and downs, etc. I can relate with story. You know, story is a big thing. There's a, uh, a, a book called Tell to Win where it talks about the power of telling stories and, and business and relationships and, and everything else. And, and I have a lifetime of stories that I can relate to these guys, people that I've met, my own stories, p- things that I've seen specifically. So I'm always just trying to, at the end of every single practice, and I learned this from my coach Lenny Zaleski, you know, some of the most valuable things are the things that are said right after practice because you can have a hard go and you can make it click for somebody. And, and what I've been doing lately, because I'll have guys from different backgrounds, is I've been having them compete and practice with different rule sets. So they have to think and compete and keep score, know whether they've won or lost in the end so they can understand like, shit, I lost. You know, and, and instead of just going to a practice where it's like we're working on a bunch of technique and you may have won or may have not won because it's up to judges and the fight game. Oh, but we're going to do jiu-jitsu rules. Now we're going to do wrestling with, with submissions. Now we're going to do an actual college wrestling match. Then we're going to do a judo competition or an IBJJF jiu-jitsu match or, or you know, whatever it is. Only jabs to the body. You can hit them to, to the body. So they know whether they're winning or not. Too many times I see guys that are pretty good at everything but are never winning in practice and no one's there to tell them you're, you haven't won or you haven't lost. And, and sometimes that translates over to competition where a guy's like, man, you had a good fight but you lost. And it happens over and over again for a guy who's like looks the part and has the technique and everything else. It's like winning is an important part of life. You know, it's, it's, it's been muddied in, in today's day and age where everybody wants to feel good, but you know, you're either going to win or lose if it's a competition and, and you know, you could give out two trophies, but you know, the winner to the winner gets the spoils, you know, yeah. the victor goes the spoils. And, and I have to tell these guys, look guys, this, this is a conversation I have all the time at the end of practice. We don't choose because guys like to be victims. Well, so-and-so is getting attention and Cody Garbrandt's getting this and that. And it's, well, Cody Garbrandt can beat everyone up in here, you know? <laughs> when you can beat him up and we're going to give you the tools to do that, then let's talk, yeah. you know? But we don't choose who the best guy is. That's mother nature. That's alpha male. That's, that's survival of the fittest. We're all getting equal, an equal shot in here. And when you're the top guy in the room, then you're the top guy in the room. We don't choose that. Yeah. So, so that, that, that's the, the simple part about our sport. And I'll always remind these guys that. Guys, here's some things that can make you the top guy in the room. If you're smoking weed and getting drunk, you know, on a, on a weekly basis, and you're getting tired all the time, stop doing it. Stop doing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you're, if you're, you know, if you're, uh, if you're, you know, not strong enough, get stronger. If you're terrible at jujitsu, then start your day with an hour of jujitsu. You know, and then it takes away the blame and, and lets them know, like, hey, you you hold the you hold the 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 nuts of your own situation. <laughs> and you do. Yeah. If you had, you know, one last thing for uh, an aspiring uh, fighter looking to one day be in UFC, uh, you know, we we talked about being delusional. We talked about, um, you know, acceptable excuses. What's that last piece of advice you have for that that aspiring? fighter the aspiring fighter look it, it goes to the two things first thinking big that's number one believing that you can is number one priority 
because if you don't really believe, you can't fool yourself. It's just, you know, if you really believe that you have the ability, the second thing is it's going to take a very long time to actually get there. And two parts of that. One, the higher you're, you're putting your ceiling and your belief and your, your hopes and things that you can't control, and the more consistent you are with the things that you can control and however much long, how long you can stick on that path, the higher you're going to get. Does it mean you're going to attain the thing that you can't control? Absolutely not. But will you get a lot closer because you were trying so hard and consistent for so long? Absolutely. And the last thing is, you know, don't get discouraged, but when you're ready to move on because the dream hasn't happened or you have fulfilled the dream or whatever, you got to take everything that you've done as a feather in the cap, a feather in the cap mentality into the next phase of things, into coaching, into business, into family, into whatever, and just be proud of whatever you did. You came into our team and you're, 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 in, the, you're in our room for a day. Congratulations, man. You yeah. got punched by Cody Garbrandt and, and, and Chad Mendez and Uriah Faber, and, and, and that's good for you, man. Good job. You stayed there for a year. You made it as a pro. You had an amateur fight. You got into the UFC. You became a world champion. You became a Hall of Famer. You know, wherever you stop, be proud of that and take the lessons and move on to the next thing. But the choice to stop is up to you. And the higher your goal is, the further you're going to get. You know, they say, aim for the stars, you land on the moon. Same idea. Okay. Speed round, three questions. Going back to your uh, lifetime here, who is your childhood uh, sports uh, fighting uh, hero? <laughs> okay. Top one. I had a... Uh, Nobody ever, ever picks one or... Yeah. For fighting, for fighting, it was uh, Tommy the Gun Morrison and Prince Nassim Hamid and Roy Jones Jr. Those are my three guys. They're all, well, Tommy the Gun was well-spoken and, and uh, you know, had a lot of personality and he was a heavy hitter. And then Roy Jones Jr. was like amazing to watch. He was such a skilled, you know, in my opinion, one of the best fighters of all times. Now I'm good friends with him actually. Um, he's amazing. And then the last one is Prince Nassim Hamid who was a friggin' cracker. I mean, literally, he took himself very seriously. He would do like 45 minute, like hip thrusting dances to the cage and like had the weirdest style ever, but it was just fun to watch. So those three guys, and then all the 49ers growing up. Right. <laughs> yeah. That has a place in my heart. Um, your favorite professional moment that you got to, you know, witness outside looking at, you know, something growing up with the Niners Super Bowl or, uh, a, a, a fight that was won. What was your favorite? Something that I got to moment? witness. Not in their same person, just yeah. What was? It just sticks with you. Favorite moment that I got to witness. Um, man, if it's too sure. hard, that's all right. I'll give you one, an even better, better one. We'll do your favorite moment for yourself in your career lifetime career that one that stands out the most um you know i'd probably just say jen's pulver fight because it was the first time i had a big fight here in sacramento it was at the arena filled out filled up the arena it was the first time i did a big countdown show on tv jen's pulver was the first ufc champion at 155 pounds before they cut the weight class and a guy i looked up to a lot um 
and I just visualized so much how good it was going to feel getting the win. And I, I just remember at the end of it, just holding my hands up, my eyes closed and, and just, uh, just like the culmination of like, this was kind of a breaking, this was like a turning point in my career where I was put on fire, like in a, in a situation where I had to perform and, and it could either be a big win and I take off in one direction or be a, a letdown. And, and, and I had a great performance that night against a very tough guy that I respected in my hometown. That's what a, what a place to do it back yeah. in your hometown. It was awesome. Did you, did you smile at your dad? And this one, right before, or I would see him in the Indian Casino. I look up, and you can look at my put Uriah Faber's first fight on YouTube, and you'll see me leaning up against the cage, and I see my dad, and I smile, and I give him a head nod, and I toss the guy in his head. But he was literally like on the cage like this. But once we were in the the higher level, I don't know where he was in the crowd. It was I'll dig that up and check. It, it went out. from. A thousand people to seventeen thousand people, so it was a little little more difficult. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Uriah Faber, I appreciate you spending time out of your day. I know uh, you're coaching, um, you're training. Uh, I appreciate you being here. Um, congratulations on uh, your second child coming here Thank soon, a uh, little boy. Yeah. Um, you know, I I have a, a grown-up boy now too, and you know, either way, two girls, two boys, one of each. It's a great thing, but yeah. uh, congrats on that and. Again, thank you for taking time to uh, talk on Make an Athlete Podcast. Yeah, man. Make an Athlete Podcast. Check it out. Get some info. Thank you for listening to the Making an Athlete Podcast. This podcast has been brought to you by our sponsor. Check us out at makinganathlete.com. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to catch our next episode.